So as we wrap up this series, the hope is that we would be encouraged to take our thinking, really our our theology, and create something that's tangible, something we can hold on to, routines and habits that help us to grow spiritually in our, our journey each and every day. Now, at the start of the service, I mentioned that this morning we're talking about cultivating joy. But what exactly does that mean? What, what does it mean to cultivate joy? Uh, last week in the publication Psychology Today, uh, there was an interview that was released by Dr. Pamela King, uh, who's a professor in the School of Psychology at Fuller Seminary. And it was all about joy. The timing couldn't have been more perfect for us. She suggests that, that our joy is informed kind of by three areas. It's informed by, by growing in authenticity as we live into our strengths. It's about growing in depth, uh, in depth and in relationships and contributing to other people and living in a way that's more aligned with our ethical and spiritual ideas. In the interview, she talks about the phrase, the pursuit of happiness that's dominated American culture for so long. And, and in her mind, joy is something so much deeper than that, so much deeper than just an emotional state. She, she says this. She says, in my study of joy, I have also noticed that joy is more complex than a feeling or an emotion. It is something one can practice, cultivate, or make a habit. Consequently, I suggest that joy is most fully understood as a virtue that involves our thoughts, feelings, and actions in response to what matters most in our lives. Thus, joy is an enduring, deep delight in what holds the most significance. I love that. A deep delight in what holds the most significance. That's, that's what joy is. Now, I think King's words in that interview, they align pretty closely with what C.S. Lewis once wrote when he said, he, he called joy the serious business of heaven. So this morning, we're going to talk through the serious business of heaven, talk through what it means to practice joy. And I know that might sound funny, but we're called to be joyful people. And what do we do then when, when it doesn't just come naturally, when we don't just feel like being joyful people? How do we approach it? Why do we have to practice it at all? Now, I know this is an oversimplification, but I want you to, to hold with me just, just for one moment. Generally, there are, are kind of two types of people. Those who, who enter the room and, and they bring life to it. They listen. They laugh. They, they share stories. And they make sure that every person in that room or in that group feels like they belong, that they have a place. So that's one person. And then there are those who enter a room and they just kind of bring it down. Something's always wrong. The cup is always half empty. They're often not happy, and, and that means that no one else that they're with should be happy either. So there's those people who bring joy and those who suck the joy out of a room or out of a group. And again, I know this is a, a complete oversimplification. There's a full spectrum between those two extremes, and most of the time, uh, you and I are in a place somewhere in the middle of those to extremes, depending on the day. But there are definitely days, if, if I'm honest, th there's definitely days where I come home and my family just knows it was a good day. 
On those days, we, we often come in, I'll set my bags down and, and we, we dance around, we tell silly jokes and we, we all go to bed just in a good place in our family. And then there's the days where I get home and my kids literally see me and then they hide. They just know it. Dad is in a mood. He needs space. Those are the days where I just suck the joy right out of the house. No singing, no dancing, no fun, no laughter. Now it's in those moments that I have a choice. I can lash out, bring my family down to to my level, or I can can go into the garage, pause for a few moments, and, and follow Elsa's advice and just let it go. Yes, I just referenced Frozen in a sermon. I'm a girl dad. The truth is, my kids have taught me a lot about joy. They've taught me to make it a priority and that sometimes the best response to a stressful day is a lightsaber battle or a pillow fight or a silly story before bed. And they've also taught me that sometimes I have to work to get myself to be in that place. I have to make a conscious effort to be a joy giver instead of a joy sucker. Now, I don't at all think that as followers of Christ, we're, we're called to, to put on fake smiles and just kind of grin and always pretend that, that everything's okay. Not, not at all. But I do believe our world is in desperate need of people who bring joy everywhere they go, especially right now. So in John's gospel, John chapter 15, in the middle of a conversation where Jesus is commanding his disciples to be obedient and to love others, he, he, he says this. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The entire point of, of obedience, of following Jesus, is, is that their joy may be complete. Without it, the disciplines that we've been talking about this summer, without joy, the disciplines we've been talking about this summer, that they just become a set of static exercises. And that's not what Jesus is about. In the Christmas story, when the angel shows up in the fields to share about Jesus's birth, that Jesus was, was on the way, the angel says, I've got great news. I've got good news that will cause great joy for all people. And from that moment forward, before Jesus is even born, onto his ministry where he broke bread with with sinners and and confronted the rule-obsessed Pharisees to his death and resurrection. Jesus was all about giving abundant life to people like you and people like me, joy-filled life. And his joy is made complete in us. Think about that for a moment. Missing out on it being one of those joy suckers, is missing out on God's purpose for us. So what does it look like to be a church community full of people who intentionally choose joy? What if our homes and our neighborhoods were so full of joy that others couldn't help but want to be a part of what's happening in our community? What does that look like? And how does biblical joy even look in the first place? 
There's this picture we, we see in passages like, like James 1, where, where joy is found in the midst of, of perseverance. And, and the picture that Jesus paints in Luke 15, where there's rejoicing in heaven when just one sinner repents. Th- throughout the Psalms, we see joy connected to praise and worship. There's lots of examples of biblical joy. But, but there's one illustration of celebration that, that for whatever reason stands out to me as a, a tangible celebration that I can say, hey, that's something I can do. That's something I can follow. And, and it's found in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6. David had just been anointed as Israel's king. And right away, he leads them into battle and they conquer the Philistines. And as they return home, he gathers this, this group of, of, of young people together to go to Judah to bring the Ark of God back to Jerusalem. Now, it was a, a gesture that, that reestablished Jerusalem as, as kind of the, the hub, the capital, the, the most important place for Israel. But it was so much more than that. The ark was a symbol of God's presence and bringing it to the place where David was king meant that David wanted God to reign where he was in charge. As the ark moved toward Jerusalem, we read that the people celebrated with all that they had. And then, then once the ark arrives in Jerusalem, the celebration continues. David stops the procession of the ark and, and sacrifices some oxen and sheep, basically throws a massive barbecue. And that was a role that was typically, typically reserved for, for churches, for, for clergy. So he's not only functioning as this newly anointed king, but he's assuming this, this role of priest, throwing massive parties and celebration. And, and then they continue until the ark gets to Jerusalem where we pick up in Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. There were people who, who weren't happy with how David was, was, was acting, how he was, was throwing these parties. Now, now typically in that, that culture, in that time, it wasn't a king's place to be in the streets dancing. And, and the linen ephod that he wore was usually reserved for a boy who was studying to be a priest. It would have been seen as an act of, of humility, really, for a ruler to be wearing. David's joy was childlike. David's joy was, was tangible. And as he danced, people noticed. Now, there's another place where where dancing is connected to God's people uh, in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 15, after the people are are delivered from Pharaoh, a prophetess named Miriam, she she leads the people in a dance together. So, So we have these pictures. David dancing in the streets like a little kid. And Miriam picking up a tambourine and leading her people and those two stories, they, they tell us that sometimes we just need to cut loose and have a little fun. Sometimes we just need to, to have a little fun. Some of my favorite moments in, in our house is when one of our kids asks for their favorite song and a spontaneous dance party breaks out. What, what does it look like for that to happen in the church? Now, there's a lot of different ways we can, we can practice joy doesn't always involve dancing. Shoot, it doesn't even always involve music. But I'm convinced 
that when we're stretched out of our comfort zones with the way that we celebrate, the, the amount of joy that we create uh, becomes more more tangible. It, it's, it's more contagious. Everybody wants to be a part of it. Now, children can be wonderful teachers when it comes to sharing joy. I know I've learned a lot from my kids. I've talked about that a little bit. And I, and I want to share some of the, the lessons that they've taught me. Five ideas that you can practice in your home that I've really learned from my kids. First, write a note or create a gift. Doesn't have to be elaborate at all. A, a couple weeks ago, we had, we had kids gather out in our courtyard with their families and create crafts and cards to mail to people in our community. Now, I have to imagine that, that, that the churches who received Paul's letters that, that usually start with something like, I thank God for you or grace and peace to you, felt encouraged. Those churches felt encouraged, maybe even a bit joyful in the same way that those who received our kids' letters probably felt when they received it. One of my daughters loves making art. She loves putting projects together. And I love receiving her creations. So, so who do you know that might need a little bit of encouragement? Who might need to know that you're praying for them? Who might you need to thank? Write a letter. Create something and send it to them. Secondly, my my kids have taught me that that playing and using our imagination is important. We've got all kinds of costumes at home, from princesses to stormtroopers, and and many of which we've inherited, and some that have been Halloween costumes. And, And I know not all of us have costumes and toys just kind of laying around our house, But when was the last time you got lost in your imagination? It's so easy to kind of let our imagination muscles atrophy. What do we need to do to get them working again? Maybe it's writing. Maybe it's it's sport. Maybe it's a a board game. Maybe it's joining a a book club or, or learning a new instrument. Usually when we talk about play, we think of kids. But the reality is, in order to be healthy, we need to experience the joy that comes with just having fun, with using our imaginations. What does that look like for you? Next, throw a party. Now, of course, in today's world, that that looks different. We can't just really invite people over for dinner or for a celebration. But it's been great to watch folks find ways to celebrate even in this season. I celebrated a friend's 40th birthday over Zoom on on Wednesday night. There's gatherings in the park and there's drive-by parades. Shoot, the Ventura County Fairground is is hosting drive-in distance movies and concerts. We can still throw parties even in this world. Safely, we can. We might have to get creative, but it doesn't mean that we can't do it. So when our our Vision 2020 team was trying to articulate the strategy of of what we mean when we come together for worship on Sunday morning, the phrase we landed in was was celebrate in worship. Because our our weekly services, whether they're in the sanctuary here, whether they're they're online in, in our homes or outside in the parking lot, they are intended to be celebrations. Many Easter services, witnesses to the resurrection. What if our church was known for throwing great parties? How much joy would we share? What would that look like? Next, recognize milestones and create traditions. 
We've had a whole slew of birthdays around WPC in the last couple of months from, from a lot of people here on staff to folks on our, our session to Graham Campbell turning 101 years old. Happy birthday, Graham. It, w- it was fun this year to watch my kids get excited for one another's birthdays, as excited as they were for their own. They just love celebrating together. But it's not just about birthdays. There's milestones, things like the first day of school, getting a big kid bed, or learning to get dressed on your own. So we can celebrate those, those big things, birthdays, holidays, anniversaries, and graduations, and we should celebrate them well. But there's also nothing wrong with celebrating things that happen more frequently. Friday, it happens every week. Why not create a tradition of having a celebratory dinner each and every Friday? So so what are some joy-filled traditions you can create? And, And then lastly, dance a little. Cut loose every once in a while. David did it. Miriam did it. And the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us they were good dancers or great musicians. Dance a little. In our first passage from our service today from, is from Paul's conclusion in, in Philippians. And he writes to rejoice in the Lord always. And he's not telling them to ignore pain. He's not telling them to ignore the difficulties of, of everyday life. But he's reminding them that celebrating is also important. It, it's a reminder to them. It's a reminder to us to pursue the abundant life that Christ calls us to at all times, even in the midst of what we're experiencing today. So all of these disciplines that we've been talking through this summer, they aim to create stability or to help us to grow even in the midst of a chaotic world. And celebrating, intentionally choosing joy, has the same goal. But it also gives us the strength to be obedient with all the other disciplines. It's kind of the the, the discipline that holds the others together. May we be a people who grow through the disciplines of meditation and prayer and study and service, solitude, fasting and Sabbath. And through it all, may we be a people who live joyfully. Amen.